So I went out with my friends at a bar. We were like popping bottles. And you know, like as a guy, the male bravado comes yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. He's like, yo, like, what do you think you could do with the money you have right now? I'm like, yo, like I'll do whatever. What do you think I should do with my money right now? And he's like, yo, you should buy a house. I'm like, I'll buy a house right now. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just talking like out of my late. ass at this point. Right? I kid you not. Like he completely sobers up in my face and he's like, I'm a realtor. Like, what? let's buy a house. I'm like, you're, you're, you must be drunk. This yeah. must be like another phase of your drunkness. The next day I'm waking up and I get this message from this guy and he's yeah. like, here are some plans, the down payment structure. Let's pull the trigger on this. Bro, in less than 24 hours. 24 hours. And I'm like, that's crazy. But in my mind, I'm like, I rationalize. I'm like, why not? Yeah. Welcome back to the Blackest New Rich podcast. It's episode 11. And I'm going to let you guys know this episode is very selfish to me because my financial literacy, I wanted to get it up. So I needed to search for a mortgage expert and I found him. And you know what? I'm going to let you introduce yourself. <laughs> That's a lot of high praise. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm Mr. Price Match Poppy, uh, Royston Simon, uh, jack of all trades. I'm a mortgage agent. I'm a real estate investor. I am a co-host of my own podcast as well, too. Content creator, all things above and all all, all to sum it up as well, a brand new dad. So um, uh, congrats to that. Appreciate congrats. it, man. Appreciate it. So yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really big title to live up to for this episode. But you know what? I'm, looking, <laughs> I'm up for the challenge. I bet. So before we get into it, I just want to know, um, I ask everybody this question. What's the best advice that you've gotten and the worst advice that you've gotten? The worst? Yeah, we can start with the worst. You don't nah, have to nah, name we can names. start with the best because the worst <laughs> is a little, that's a tough one. I never really had anybody ask me about worst advice before, but best advice that I think I've gotten, I would say is to not be afraid to make mistakes. Um, I, it sounds so simple, but when you really dig deeper, it's really just a matter of like just doing whatever it is that you feel most inclined to do. Dope. I'm someone who I could often say like in my past, I've been someone who suffered a lot from like analysis paralysis mm. and you spend Explain so that. much Explain time. That. So you, you have an idea and maybe you're like, okay, this could be really cool or this could be something that was really dope. And then I maybe overthink it I'm or like I, I analyze it too yeah. much. I'm like, oh, like what if it goes wrong? And yeah. then the more time you give yourself to think about something, the more time, the more, more likely you are to kind of talk yourself out of it. Not to mention I'm someone who also really used to like rely on other people's opinions of something. So I used to go to like maybe my mom mm -hmm. or I go to my dad or I go to my, my best friend. Like, yo, what do you guys think of this idea? And they're not even having experience in that idea itself. Or maybe they have their own inhibitions about it. And then they can maybe so talk about it. Biased opinion. Biased opinion as well. So all those things are like the perfect storm to kind of maybe derail you all together or maybe not make you put the best foot forward. But then when you actually do it, if you get the courage to ever actually try it, you're like, yo, this isn't so bad after all. Or mm -hmm. I did a lot better than I expected. Or mm -hmm. it gave you a really good outcome that you weren't really even sure it was possible. Right. So I'm someone like I'm, I'm now like a risk taker and I'm, I'm someone that's just like. I'm glad that I'm not afraid to make mistakes because I feel like that's when you have the best outcomes and you grow the most as well too. So 100%. that's some advice I always keep near and dear to me. All right, dope, dope, dope. Worst, worst advice though? Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> that's tough. Uh, I would say, you know what? I don't think, the, I don't have a worst advice that's been verbally given to me. I think it would, I would just, I would just chalk it up to influence. Like I think I was just surrounded by a lot of bad influencing, influential factors that may have maybe handicapped me a little bit, maybe derailed me a little bit, maybe uh, just shrunk me mm -hmm. a little bit more than I should have been for a great portion of my time. Um, and I think that that's probably one In thing that ways? I've... Mindset. I think me, I get it. My, yeah, <laughs> I listen, get it. <laughs> mindset is so huge. And like I said, with the not being afraid to make mistakes, right? If mm -hmm. you are someone who's also 
greatly impacted by your your environment and your surroundings and the people that you kind of surround yourself with, that can be something that really dictates what you end up doing. It's no joke that people say like, you know, like birds of a feather flock together or, you know, show me your, mm-hmm. your closest five people mm-hmm. that'll tell you who you are or mm-hmm. where you're headed. And I think that's really true. And I think that that's probably some of the the worst things I've kind of surrounded myself with that kind of held me back. And I, I often kind of like benchmark myself with where I could have been right now mm-hmm. had I not done certain things or been a part of certain things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I don't you like know to look, what to, I don't, uh, yeah. it, it helps, it, you know, character development, right? Yeah, but yeah, at the true, same true. time, like, I think that's something that I keep in my mind now so that when I am kind of serving where I am, who I'm associated with and stuff like that, like, I keep that really at the forefront of my but mind. you have real lessons. Exactly. That's how I look at it. And that's, it keeps me from going back to that. Exactly. Place, you know what I mean? So exactly. it, it, it all, all, all for good reason. And it, it all helped me shape who I am right now. But I would say worst advice comes from just like influence. The, the influence that I was kind of surrounded by previously in my life. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Dope. I don't know if that works for an answer, but hopefully. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's good <laughs> enough. Trust me. Um, let's get into it. I, but just before, like, you know, before we get into the mortgage stuff, I want to know the lead up to becoming a mortgage agent. You want the long story or the short story? <laughs> Whatever you feel comfortable with. Uh, okay, where you want me to start? How far back do you want to go? Let's go like, you know, let's start at 20. 20? Yeah. Damn, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 20, uh, I'm 30 now. I just turned 32 weeks ago. Oh, so congrats, let's, congrats. Let's do a, thank you, man. Congrats. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I, was, I was very hesitant to get here, but now that I'm here, I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so let me just recap the last 10 years in a, in a quick and dirty way. Um, okay. 20 years old. Finishing up college, um, I was in school for business. I got my diploma, graduated at Humber. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into like the typical business type of role, wasn't really feeling it. I was like, I'm not going to be spending the next 50 years of my life working in a cubicle, crunching numbers all day. It's just mm-hmm. not, it's not in my best interest. Mm-hmm. I have too much personality. I have too much desire for more. Mm-hmm. And it's just wasn't really conducive to like my personality. So mm-hmm. um, I was looking at other options, try to like do things a little bit differently. I worked at the bank. I did like debt consolidation and then I was like, okay, like let's do a little bit of like YouTube because everyone's just like, you know what? Like you're really good at emphasizing the importance of money. Cause I've always been like the cheap person and the, <laughs> the nickname, the, the price match popping and all that. <laughs> and like, I used to like do like random stuff on my Snapchat, um, to like, just say like, okay, this is what I'm doing. That's cheap today. And I was like, yo, this is funny, but like, I'm actually learning as well how to kind of be more conservative about my money. So I made a YouTube channel out of it. Got it monetized, took it to a good place. And then in the midst of all that, I actually got my first property. Um, 26 years old, 27 years old. I can't remember exactly oh, when dope. it was. Uh, it was a pre-construction. So yeah. I put down my money. I, I like to tell this story because it's a little funny. So I was making a pretty good amount of money doing all the things At I was doing. And At the, the bank. And YouTube. also I had like side hustles as well. Oh, okay, too. cool, cool, cool. So I, get, I I garnered up a large amount of money by being as cheap as I had been. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I didn't know what I was going to do with the money. But I was like, I have it. Yeah. So I went out with my friends and we were at a bar and I we were like popping bottles. And, you know, like as a guy, the male bravado comes out and like someone else is like popping bottles, too. Yeah, You want to pop your. Yeah, you want to pop bottles. So I was popping bottles. We're going back and forth, like just trying to like outdo each other, like subtly. But like it's like a ha 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 kind of thing. So the guy comes over to me and he's like, yo, like you're he's drunk. And he's like, yo, like you got a lot of money. eh?" And I'm like, you know, I'm doing okay. He's like, yo, like. What do you think you could do with the money you have right now? I'm like, yo, like I'll do whatever. What do you think I should do with my money right now? And he's like, yo, you should buy a house. I'm like, I'll buy a house right now. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm just talking like out of my late. ass at this point, right? <laughs> and he's like, I'm a realtor. Like he, like I, I kid you not. Like he completely sobers up in my face and he's like, I'm a realtor. Like what? let's buy a house. I'm like, okay. 
And I'm like thinking, we're just here shooting the shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm not taking it like serious. I'm like, okay, this guy's- You're in the just, club. Yeah, I'm like, you're, you're, you must be drunk. This yeah. must be like another phase of your drunkenness. So he <laughs> takes my number and the next day I'm waking up and I get this message from this guy and he's yeah. like, here are some plans. Here's the down payment, the, uh, the, the, the down payment structure. Let's pull the trigger on this. And I'm like- Bro, in less than 24 hours. 24 hours. And I'm like, that's crazy. But in my mind, I'm like, I rationalize. I'm like, Why not? yeah. Because yeah. I know I want to move out. I've always been someone that's like, I don't want to rent because mm-hmm. like, I know what renting is. Like I'm paying down someone else's mortgage. I don't really have the freedom mm-hmm. to like have this house the way I want it to be. So I'm like, okay, let me take this a little bit more seriously. Now that I'm like, I'm sobered up. Let's look into this more seriously. So we have more conversations and he puts me onto this project, the pre-construction project where it's like $25,000 down. And I'm like, I have a good portion of that right now. Oh, that's not bad. I'm like, exactly. That's I'm like, bad. and it's spaced out over 180 days. Oh, that's not bad at exactly. all. Exactly. So I'm like, I have another 180 days to get the, the remainder. I'm like, yeah. I can do this. I'm like, yeah. okay. So now it became real, like real to me. I'm like, yeah. this is this is really realistic. So I pull my tr- I pulled the trigger on it, and now I have I've signed onto this house, and it's supposed to be closing in the following year. I'm like, perfect. I'm gonna get my keys in hand the next year. Come to find out, now fast forward to that year. I get hit with the reality check that I have to get the mortgage (laughs) because I'm like the mortgage comes with the house, right? Right. Like no one told me otherwise. Why wouldn't the mortgage come with the house? So when the builder calls me like, yeah, your house is going to be closed in the next 30 days. Where's your mortgage instructions? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, you don't have a mortgage. I'm like, no, Um, find it or you lose (laughs) the house and you lose your deposit. I'm like, I'm not losing $25,000 period. I don't want to lose $25. Never mind (laughs) $25,000. So I had to run around like a chicken with his head cut off trying to find a mortgage. I went to my home bank, couldn't get one. I went to another bank, couldn't get one. And I had to hit up mortgage brokers to get it done. Yeah. And I got the job done. But knowing what I know now, the mortgage broker that got it done for me took advantage of me. Uh, and what I had to pay to get it done out of pocket was wild. Yeah. I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. Yeah. But getting that all done and realizing what I had gotten myself into, I'm like, okay, you know what? Like. I don't want to have to do that again. And not only that, I don't want other people to have to deal with that as well themselves. So I was like, okay, let's look into mortgaging myself. Also, I was like, okay, do I want to live in this property? Because now I actually got the keys. So, you know, hooray, got my property. So now I'm, I have a real, I have a, I have real estate. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Where do I, it? it was in Brantford. Oh, okay. Cool. And this is what, 2017, 2019, I got the house. Okay, dope. And I'm like, do I want to live this far from where I work, which is in Brampton, which is like an hour away? Do I want to live that far from my friends and all that stuff? I'm like, eh, it's not really practical. Plus my mortgage, I'm like, I could afford it, but I'm like, I'll be house poor. Yeah. All my money, or if not, a good portion of it will be going to my towards my mortgage. So I'm like, you know what? Best case scenario, let me just rent this out. So I rented out the property and I rented it out for, I can be transparent on here, yeah, right? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Uh, I rented it out for 2100 for the whole house. It was okay. a townhouse. Okay. And my mortgage was about 1650. Oh, dope. So I, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a win. That's a win. That's a win, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, bless. That's cash flow too. Like, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, I'm making about four bills every month. Yeah. Same as. Yeah, paying off your mortgage. <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, okay, cool. And then a year and a half later, I'm like, COVID hit. Yes. And then I'm like, okay, what's my options? Because I lost my job and I'm like, okay, what can I really look at? I'm like, okay, I got a property. Let's see what's really going on with that. And I, once I saw the appreciation of it, I was like, yo, real estate is not a game. <laughs> so I was like, what did it go? To, uh, what did it go up to? So I bought the house for 365. Yes. And Which is good. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when the property was appraised in 2021, it was appraised for about 600. So I'm like, oh. So I, I didn't think it was real. I'm like, this equity is mine. They're like, they're like, yeah. I'm like, do you? They're like, either you can sell it and get the equity cash, or you can refinance. Yeah. So I'm like, 
okay, let's look at refinancing because I don't want to lose the asset itself. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to do my research on what are the different options with real estate? How can you best leverage the real estate once you get your hands on it? Because I don't want to sell it, come out of real estate and then have to get back into it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, now is my time when I don't have a job. Things are relatively like nothing's really open. And I'm like, okay, I'm taking this time frame to really just figure out what is the best case to position myself in a career aspect and also reposition myself from an investment standpoint because I don't want to leave real estate realizing what I just did with it, mm -hmm. right? So that was where I kind of recalibrated, right? Are you, are you good with time? I see you. Okay, cool. So um, so once I did all that, I was like, okay, let's refinance, keep the property, still going to be at a decent amount of cash flow, and then I get equity out of the property as well to use towards something else. So I took that money now, and then I bought the property in Sudbury to cash flow a little bit better. And property then, number two. Property number okay, two. Okay, makes and sense. And in the midst of doing all my, my research, I was like, okay, what's the best ways to maximize cash flow? Because with that property in Brantford, what I didn't realize and what I got slapped in the face with was at the end of the year, I had property taxes. Yes. So I had to pay like $3,000 out of pocket yeah. to pay for that, that property taxes. And I was like, okay, well, that really just ate up the entire four, $400 Four dollars. I was making yeah, every yeah, month. Yeah. So I'm like, I didn't really make no money. Yeah. There's got to be a way to make more money passively, but also have the property. So I looked at multifamily properties. So basically what multifamily is, is basically having a property that has separate units in each, in, 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 within the dwelling. Okay. So a duplex would have two units separated. Like they're not really coming into contact with each other. If there's two people in there, triplex is three, fourplex is four and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was like, let me find the best place to invest that has low purchase price, can have multifamily and also like isn't too far away. So I looked at Sudbury and also, sorry, low purchase price, multifamily, and also will allow me to have decent rental income. Mm -hmm. So obviously when people have the idea like, okay, this property was cheap, you obviously realize that you can't demand that much in rent. Yeah. But different areas have different rent standards. So I did my research on figuring out where has the most comparable rent to Toronto, but also has not the most comparable prices to purchase. Mm. Sudbury had a pretty good margin on that. So I got a, the Sudbury property for about 270. Holy, and that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's and I was like, that's the best way to make my money stretch. Yeah. And it's a, it was a triplex. Oh, so it's okay. three it's units three in that property. And you cash flow every month. Exactly. How much you charge for rent? So uh, I got a two bedroom in there. There's a one bedroom and another one bedroom. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the two one bedrooms, uh, I charge about a thousand. Okay. And then the two bedroom, I charge about 1200. Okay. So you're like seeing 3,200 every month. Exactly. Quick math. Uh. Quick math. <laughs> and then I have my mortgage. So yeah, yeah. now I'm cash flowing beautifully. Yeah. That's so nice. I, when I have property taxes and whatnot hitting me, I'm still cash flowing. You yeah. know what I mean? And not to mention the property is going to continue to appreciate in value mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. Right. And then I took the rest of my money that I had from that refinance and I put it into another pre-construction to live in over here in Brampton. So I, I kind of had my enough money to kind of expand my investment portfolio, but also get myself a primary residence for my family that I'm trying to, you know, have a nice little roof over our head that we own. Because like I said, I don't really believe in renting myself if I know the capabilities of owning. True. So I put my money into another pre-construction that I'm going to wait for later on in this year. Okay. Congrats, bro. Thank you, man. Thank so you. So you are starting generational wealth. With yes. Those properties. hundred percent. you just, you're a new father. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that. Listen, man, <laughs> that was, that was one of the biggest, like, transformative things for me because like I said, COVID was like game changer in terms of mindset and really figuring out what was most important. And like I said, I lost my job. My girl got pregnant. I'm like, okay, I got a responsibility, yeah, responsibility yeah, on the way. I got to get my, pants. exactly. I got to get my <laughs> shit together. So, um, realizing where I was and how difficult it felt to get to where I was and also realizing it's still difficult. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, it would be nice to not have to go through 
not struggle, but like, I wish things were a little bit easier. Your type of struggle. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, knowing I have my son on the way, I need to figure out the best way to position myself to be able to A, handle that responsibility financially when he gets here and also prepping for him getting here. You know, supporting my family going forward once he is here, because it's not just him. I got to worry about it's my girl as well, too. Mm -hmm. And then also when he gets to the ages that I was at when I was trying to find my way, I don't want him to have to do all of the things that I had to do and all the hoops that I had to jump through to make it to where I am. You know what I yeah, mean? I yeah. want to be able to give him something, make mm -hmm. things easier for him. I saw a lot of people in my high school, in my college, and just having a lot of like luxury and sense of like not having to worry about certain things. Like I went to college, I had to juggle two jobs. Trust me. I had to get my car myself. I couldn't get a car passed out to me when I turned 18. Like yeah. I had to get like a lot of stuff out of the mud. You know yeah. what I mean? And I don't think that that was something I don't, I don't want for my son if it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. So I really prioritize making sure that I have certain things to make things easier for him and to pass down to him when he gets to my age to mm -hmm. really be responsible about it as well. So realizing that that's why I ultimately went with refinancing the property as opposed to selling it. Mm -hmm. So that I have that property there. Now I have another property in Sudbury. Then I'm going to have another property as well in Brampton. So Jeez. I have now the, the capability to expand. You have options. I have options. Mm -hmm. And then also I can give those things to him and pass them on hard assets to him yes. that can help him when he gets to my age or even earlier. Right. Because yeah. the earlier, the better. And it's just a matter of me making sure that I pass on the knowledge. Right. Mm -hmm. Him not having to go in YouTube and go through all these other things that I have to do to educate myself. I'm going to be able to teach him early on so he can capitalize on it as early as possible, because I think we all can realize that the market right now in Toronto, I don't know how people are going to make it through yeah. the next four or five years, yeah. never mind my son in 18. Right. Yeah. So I want to make sure I'm, I'm setting him himself. I'm setting him up for the ability to kind of have like an easier life than I had to go through. OK, dope, bro. But it's just been a really good motivating factor to kind of keep myself in in check and stay on my own neck. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, I think yeah. a lot of time we get complacent. And I, I have a daily reminder yeah, of why I got to yeah, go hard every yeah, single day yeah, and make yeah. the best decisions, not only for now, but in the future as well, too. OK, wow. Congrats. Thank you, man. So I'm hearing a common theme of people not actually when they get their foot in the door, they actually don't sell their house because of I'm not. Excuse me if I get the terms wrong. They don't want to pay no capital gains on it. So they'll actually mm -hmm. keep that asset forever and then uh, turn it to their kids or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and that is an option as well, too. Um, capital gains. So what capital gains taxes is basically. If you, the sale of your property, okay. um, if you get hit with it, from my understanding, this is more so a tax question, Yeah. but when, what, what deterred me from a capital gain standpoint was if you sell within that first year and you take the profits, you have to, you can pay up to 50% capital gains tax 50%. on the profit, right? 50 so 50% of your profit. Exactly. So like, imagine you walk away with a hundred grand and you're giving up 50 grand. Possibly. It's not yeah. always the case. Okay. It's, it's obviously it's different strokes Options, for different folks, yeah, yeah. right? It's different circumstances depending on what the property is and what your situation entails, right? But even being subjected to that period, I'm like, I don't want to run that yeah, risk. Yeah, no, 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 no. So I want to figure out what's the best way to retain as much of my profit and equity as possible. Mm -hmm. So I went with the refinance option because I keep the property and it's something that I can pass on and also it's cash flowing. So why would I want to give up that passive yeah, exactly. income? So capital gains can be avoided in certain different ways. Mm -hmm. So for example, in that same scenario where you sell your property, if you put the, the profit back into another property, you can avoid the, the capital gains to my knowledge, oh, right? Okay. So there are ways to kind of go about it. You can't just take your cash and run though. That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. So you got to stay in the real estate That's game so and snowball crazy. it. It's crazy. Yo, it's it's wild, but you know what I mean? Like, I, and I'm someone who's just like, I'm really big on, there's a lot of things that I see as problems with in terms of rules. Like why is this rule in place? Mm -hmm. There's no point of this. This is not really fair, mm -hmm. but rather than complaining about it, I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. these are the rules. Let me just act accordingly and do what's best serves me right because sure. i think a lot of people get caught up in terms of like well this is not fair and and then nothing happens no actions are taken exactly what yeah. are you going to do about it right mm -hmm. like if can we change this if not 
play by the rules that is, that's that's in place and make the best decision for yourself. So rather than complaining, I'm just like, okay, cool. Let me just make the best decision with what I know. Yeah, facts. Okay, dope. Let's get into mortgages. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I really want to know this question. Like for mm-hmm. the self-employed and entrepreneurs, how mm-hmm. can we get a mortgage? What is this process towards that? So when it comes to self-employed and entrepreneurial people, um, it's a little different, right? It's a little bit more tedious for you guys, for us, because mm-hmm. I'm technically self-employed as well too, right? So you need to have your income averaged because the way that lenders are going to be looking at your income mm-hmm. is what's guaranteed, you know what I mean? Like how sure is your income? So if you're okay. someone who works for Apple, mm-hmm. you're salaried, right? You're there, you're That's the CEO, guaranteed. you're making 200K a year. Cool. We can bank on that, give or take sicknesses and whatnot. If you're self-employed and you are someone who maybe you, I don't know, maybe you're a basketball trainer, right? Mm-hmm. If you break your leg, how are you going to go train basketball? You're going to have to take some time off. Your income is not going to take a hit, right? True. So there's no guarantee for your income when you're self-employed. So the, the the problem really comes into play when you're self-employed and it's for less than two years because we don't have enough of a track record to really say what you're really going to be averaging or what your take home is, right? So for someone who's maybe been self-employed for 10 years, cool, we have 10 years of records to say, okay, you made 80K as an average over this 10 years. Mm-hmm. We really look at the last two years most lenders look at the last two years, but just to give you an example, like they're looking at the track record basically. So if you're self-employed for less than two years, it's a little bit tougher. Therefore, you kind of most likely gonna have to go to the B lender space. Okay. So I know I'm throwing some words out there that are probably yeah. like, what does that mean? So, so a-, a, lender a lender is the bank and B lender is like other people who invest in mortgages. So other companies, oh, Okay. but they are taking on higher risk. Okay. So the A lenders are going to take the people who have, you know, I use the words big and sexy income, right? Yeah. You know you're getting your 50K yeah, a year. Yeah. It's salaried. You've been here for X amount of years. Cool. We can bank on that, right? B lenders are essentially taking on higher risk because your income is more flu- is going to fluctuate more. And for that reason, you're going to probably pay a little bit higher in interest rate. Mm, you're going to have to have more down payment. So okay. to be in the B lender space, you have to have a minimum 20% down payment. Minimum. Minimum. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So that can quickly get out of hand if you're talking about GTA properties, right? Exactly. So that's why like, I really try to encourage people like, okay, for example, I had a client the other day come to me and say, okay, well, I work here right now. It was a nice job. I don't want to say where, but they're like, I'm thinking of quitting my job, which is obviously red flag number one, because you need to have that stable income. But I'm, I'm thinking of quitting to go and do like pursue my own entrepreneurship chill and i'm like you're gonna chill for exactly (laughs) exactly so i'm like how about if you're looking to get a property get that property first get that closed and then go explore your passions and your hobbies because once you quit that job and start a new self-employment gig you start from today like you start from scratch you're you're fresh into this world yeah so let's just say now and obviously not to mention you're gonna have to figure out your expenses and and your income for that time frame you're gonna be starting up you're not gonna make that much right off the mm-hmm. bat, probably mm-hmm. being realistic. So it's best to kind of capitalize on that that's that guaranteed income while you still can before pivoting to that because mm-hmm. you don't want to wait two more years to have the averaged out income if you, if you plan on being in the A space. If you do want to go to the B space, you don't have to have two years record, but you're going to have to show your actual income, right? So they're going to probably ask for three months of your the most recent income that you had. So you're going to have to show- For your, the B lenders. For the B lenders, right? Self-employed. Exactly. So it's only three months, minimum 20%. Exactly. And you also have to pay some fees as well in there too. So there's okay. probably like a 1% lender fee where they're like, okay, there's you're, we're charging you 1% from even lending you this money to begin also, with. But they're taking a risk too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how to look at it, right? I think a lot of people have this misconception like, well, the bank's taking advantage. 
To a degree, sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, you have to also realize too, so the way real estate is, is set up, when you go and make a purchase, right? Let's just say you're purchasing a property for $500,000 and your down payment is 50 grand. That 450 that you're gonna be mortgaging mm-hmm. is the bank fronting you that money yeah, to close your yeah, property. Exactly. And then you pay them back over the course of time. Mm-hmm. I need to make sure I'm getting my money back. Yeah, exactly. So if I'm lending you half a million dollars, I need to make sure you're in a position that I can get trust that, that I'm gonna get that back. Yeah. If you just quit your stable job and you're now gonna be starting up a, an entrepreneurial gig, and let's be realistic, a lot of people start these, they don't yeah, always yeah. follow through yeah, and they, yeah. they they crash and maybe they they stop That's after a, a couple of years. That's a long-term game. Exactly, not everyone has the stick to to kind of see it through. Mm-hmm. So from the, from the lender standpoint, how can I really bank on you as someone who just became an entrepreneur, left their job, has no stable income to pay me back my half a million that I just lent you to close on this property? Right. So from yeah, look at from their perspective to a degree. And that's where it's like, I think some people don't really shift that perspective. Yeah. So that's that's how you can kind of dabble it in the B space. So if you are a new entrepreneur, yes, no, not all hope is lost. It's just this is probably going to have to be your viable option until you get that two years track record to go into the A space. Because until you get to that track record, that two year point where you can say, okay, I made 90 grand in my first year and I made 100 grand in my second year. Yeah. I make a hundred grand or I make, I made an average of 95 grand between the two years, then they can be like, okay, you made an average of 95 K Yeah. until you get to that point, your income is like a question mark to them. Right. Oh, okay. Cause it's up in the air. We yeah, don't really have sense. much of a track record. So that's, that's just my piece of advice for entrepreneurs and the self-employed people watching this. You, you if you don't want to be in the B space <laughs> and you don't want to have to, which is going to really entail putting up 20% down payment, paying maybe a one to 2% lender fee. That's a chunk. That's a big chunk yeah, because 1% chunk. of 400K is $4,000, right? Yeah. That's a fee up front you got to pay. Yeah. So, not, and not to mention the higher interest rate that's going to be attached to that mortgage, you might want to yeah, rethink that if, if real estate is in your short term goals, right? Like if that's something you want to do in the next maybe six months to a year, mm-hmm. let's stick with the stable income until you close, you finish that goal out and then maybe shift over to entrepreneurship after you close on that. Because once you get your mortgage approved, then you're good. You're good. Go yeah. do what you want to go do, yeah. right? Because it's signed. It's in ink. Yeah, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah, right. And that's yeah. why I tell people as well, too. One thing that I see a lot of people messing up in their mortgage process or when they're even looking for a property I had a client do this three weeks ago. She bought a, a car. Oh, no, that's new debt. You know what I mean? So it's just like you really got to be mindful of these things because you really want to make sure you close on this house before you go get a car. You can get a car loan with terrible credit, no job, zero dollars down. But you can't do the same thing with a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Make sure you go secure that house first if that's what's in your plans and then go get your car afterwards because, you know, that's the easier thing to acquire in the in, in the grand scheme of things. Okay, dope. You mentioned process. Mm-hmm. Take me through the mortgage process and what are ex- what what is uh, what are these lenders exactly looking for? How long does it take? I actually have no clue. So the process itself can be it can be quick depending on the lender. Mm-hmm. So for example, TD, right? I submitted a deal to them for someone's mortgage to get closed on three weeks ago. Haven't heard from them yet, mm-hmm. and that's just because they're so backed up. They're popular, as we can all tell. They haven't got around to looking at that deal yet. So if you're someone that's on a short time frame to get something done, maybe some of these A lenders are not in your best interest. Mm. But some of the other lenders that are maybe lower notoriety, they quick turnaround. Like I got someone approved for their mortgage this week. I submitted it on Monday. I got the approval this today. So two days they got their mortgage approved. So that's that an A lender or a B lender. A lender. Oh wow. A lender, but. A lot of people have this idea like, okay, it's only the big five banks. Yeah. But there's a lot of A lenders that are out there that are in the same space, give actually better rates. Yeah. They're just not like your typical brick and mortar. Yeah. 
establishment. There's no tangible branch for you to go walk into, right? It's just a mortgage that's given to you. You pay them back just like you would virtually, right? So um, the process itself, they're going to be assessing your income, which we just talked about briefly. Um, they're going to be ta- looking at your debts and they're going to be looking at your credit score and how much money are you putting into this purchase yourself? Because that's going to determine the loan to the value, which is basically how much of the loan is in comparison to the actual purchase that you're making, right? So for example, if you're putting in 20% down payment, your loan to value is 80 because your your, your mortgage loan is 80% of this purchase. The bigger that loan is, is the more risk on their end, right? Because that means you're putting in less money of your own. Mm-hmm. So it's, in, if you want me to tier it and, and prioritize each of the things, number one, first and foremost, income is king. Like okay. income, is, income is going to be the biggest driving factor in how much mortgage you can qualify for. Okay. And this is why I really stress to people. A lot of people go to realtors first to kind of get their, their foot in the door and start the, start yeah. the shopping well, process. Well, that's why there's a pre-approval, right? Yeah. That's why you should come to the mortgage agent <laughs> first because you need to know what is in your budget, right? Yeah. We got to figure out what is it that you can actually qualify for because the last thing you want to go do is go look for million dollar homes mm-hmm. when you qualify for half a million dollar homes, mm-hmm. right? Because then you're wasting your time, you're wasting the realtor's time, and you're not going to qualify for this property, even mm-hmm. if you find one you like. True. Just getting your hopes up for no reason. True. So get your pre-approval first. And what that pre-approval process is really just going to figure out where it would be willing to give you a mortgage before you even find a property that's going to really take this mortgage on, right? Oh, okay. So you're working backwards, essentially, right? If you come to me, we say, okay, Corey, let's sit down and let's figure out what you make, right? So income is going to be king, like I said. Mm-hmm. Typically, on average, you get about 4.5 to 5 times your annual income okay. as a mortgage. That's where we start, right? So okay. let's just say you make 100K. Mm-hmm. We're going to start at about 500K. Then we look at the second thing, which is debt. Debts. That's the quickest way to ruin what we just talked about, which is the income that's qualifying for your mortgage, right? Sorry, not to cut you off, but yeah. what types of debt can affect your mortgage uh, rate or process? All of them. <laughs> All of them. So okay. we're, they, there's two different ways to look at it, right? So a lot of people get this part cons- misconstrued is they think that it's the balance. It's not typically the balance. It's more so the monthly payment associated with that balance. Ooh, okay. So I have people, for example, who have like, let's just say you drive a Benz. Mm-hmm. That was an expensive car. If you have cheap monthly payments for that car, it's not as bad. So let's just say, for example, a student loan. I had a client, they we, we did their pre-approval the other day. So they're shopping right now. They have 80K in student loans. And that sounded really scary to them at first. And I'm like, yeah. okay, cool, don't worry. How much are your monthly payments to the student loan? And if you have it where it's not in current repayment, so you're just like, you deferred it, yeah. then we have to count 3% of it. Okay. So that can be, that can get ugly real quick, yeah. 3% of 80k is a lot so he has a really small monthly payment towards that balance so we don't have to worry about it being 80k Mm -hmm. it's just the 70k 70 dollars a month that he's paying towards is what we're going to account for Mm -hmm. so his income that he's making we're going to say okay you make 100k which is how is about 8k a month okay 70 dollars of that 80 80k of that 8k is going towards oh that's something else right now so we're going to be looking at the remaining seven nine seven thousand nine hundred and thirty dollars yeah as what you have remain to qualify to this mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. But you can quickly see how having a lot of debts outstanding can can eat away at what you can qualify you with. Exactly. Oh, okay. So for example, if you have someone who makes 100K, but you've got a big car loan in place, you've got a maxed out credit card, which we're gonna be counting 3% of that balance towards as debt that you have to pay back on a monthly basis. You can quickly see how your 100K is not gonna help you qualify for much. Yeah. Because the statistics show, and I did my own little calculation to see how much does debt really affect you. For every $150 in monthly payments, you probably lose about 
$250 of mortgage. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can quickly see how it eats away at that money, yeah. that, that, that qualification that, number that's that we fast. have. That's a lot. Exactly. Yeah. So if you have a monthly payment of, let's just say a 450, mm-hmm. that's three times that 250 number that's going to be eaten away from that, that mortgage amount, right? Yeah. So nonetheless, we're going to go from income, the debts that are going to offset that income, whatever is left over. Now we're going to look at your credit score. Credit score typically being the A space, you want to look at about 650 and up. Mm-hmm. If you're below that, don't worry. Not all hope is lost. Some, if you have like a good reason for it's not bad. I it's not be bad. higher. I exactly. Be higher, right. Yeah. And I think that's why it's good to have that conversation with me early on. Right. Because yeah. let's say you want to just start your shopping process. There's a lot of ways to boost your credit score in a short period of time so that when you're ready to actually close on a property, your credit score is a little bit higher now, right? So I've actually helped a lot of clients turn around their credit score in that process while they're shopping so that now they're talking about maybe a 720 or a 730 and they're in the A-space conversation again. Because if you're below that 650, now it's like, okay, it's looking kind of grim. Yeah. So that's why going through this pre-approval process is a good way to kind of see where you're at right now and also maybe fix your situation so that when you're actually trying to buy a property, you're in the best position possible. So I could let you know, okay, you know what? Maybe if you go get a second job, to couple with your first, your, your primary income. Now we're looking at that income as well, mm-hmm. because just for that income to be counted, you need to be a permanent re- um, employee. So you need mm-hmm. to pass that probationary period. So let's just say you talk to me in March and we're like, okay, you know what? You you say you want to get a property in July. Cool. Let's get you a, pri- a part-time job right now. Try and get a part-time job for April. So that by the time in July, we can use that part-time jobs income. Because if it's before that, we can't really use it. Because you're still on probation, it's not guaranteed income, mm-hmm. right? You're not you're not a guaranteed. You have to pass that probation exactly period. because okay. you know when you're on probation, you can get cut on a whim. Yeah. So that's something that I really think that people can really start and really start to maybe formulate with how they should kind of structure their their real estate endeavors, right? Okay. You don't really want to just jump into things head first like I did. Um, you know, a night out <laughs> turned into a whole real estate purchase on yeah. a whim. If you can kind of structure it with a plan, then you can kind of approach it the best way possible. Okay, dope. How can I determine what I can afford? So I'll, I'm glad you asked it that way because <laughs> you shouldn't determine what you can afford. You okay. should definitely have a professional look at it because even when you're looking at your income, for example, like like you said, some people who are self-employed might look at it like, okay, well, I make this much money. It's going to be realized. Not necessarily the case, right? There's going to be different stipulations and circumstances for different types of employment. And for example, I have a client that is an apprentice. And because he's an apprentice, his income is going to fluctuate because he has to go back to school at some point during the oh, year. So even sense. though his his job letter says A, his pay stub right now says A, yeah. it's not A because... You know, at some point, maybe in September, you got to go back to school for three months. That's three months where you're not going to be working. Mm-hmm. So that income is going to be realized a little bit differently. So all that to say, you should have a professional look at the numbers for you, take in all of your, your situation and then determine what your real budget is, because you can quickly maybe miscalculate things if you're doing it by yourself. Like I said, those things that I said prior with, um, you know, maybe four time, four to five times in your income for the year and looking at certain things for your debt. It's just rules of thumb. They're not necessarily like concrete. Yeah. So you really want someone that's like a professional to look at these things and say, okay, this is what you're pre-approved for. I've had it looked at by this lender. You're good to go. Because if you try and do it yourself, you can quickly put your foot in your mouth and miscalculate. And then now you out buying a property and putting an offer and getting it accepted for a property that you can't actually afford. And Mm -hmm. the last thing you want to do is be struggling to find that mortgage solution for a property that you cannot afford because... You can get sued. You lose your down payment and your deposit. You lose the whole thing if you you don't qualify. If you go into a real estate transaction, and I've learned this firsthand because my situation was not pretty. If you go into a real estate transaction and you 
can't qualify for your financing, meaning your deal falls apart, right? Because like I said, if you're putting in 5% of your down payment, that other 95% needs to be covered somehow, which is by the lender. Yeah. So the seller now has taken that property off the market because- Oh yeah, so you're wasting their time. They're wasting their time. That's opportunity cost for them as well. Not to mention, they probably have legal fees and other realtors that they had to pay for that transaction to be getting to the point where it's at. You can get sued. And not only that, you lose your deposit and you wasted your time and theirs as well, right? So it's just unnecessary on on all levels. So if you can take that extra step to, you know, get your ducks in a row, it makes sense to do it, right? Because it's up to it's up no cost to you. Yeah. Okay. Dope. Are there any first time home buyers initiatives that we can capitalize on? There are um, a couple of them that I that come to mind. Um, the land transfer tax rebate. So what is that about? So when you buy a property, when you close on a property, you have to pay land transfer tax. Your closing costs are about one point five percent of your your property uh, of the purchase price. Okay. So that's going to include your legal fees. That's going to include land transfer tax and the commissions paid to the to the realtor that's representing you, right? Land transfer tax, you can get half of that land transfer tax fee rebated back to you for first time home buyers. So let's just say your land transfer tax came up to about four grand. You can get two grand back after the transaction closes. It's okay. rebated back to you at the end of the year. That's a that's a really good incentive there. I wouldn't suggest that people try to bank on it. Yeah. Because you have to qualify for it, which means you have to have make made a certain amount of income. You can't make past a certain amount of income, sorry. Mm, so you gotta be in a, a certain range. Exactly, so if you make 150K, yeah. you're not gonna qualify for that rebate. Mm. So I really look at people, I, I really try and encourage people to not chase that incentive because if you're trying to do all of these things and jump through these hoops to save $2,000 in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty minimal, you okay. know what I mean? Okay. Um, another incentive is the RRSP contribution. So if you're someone who is looking to use your RRSPs, which is your retirement savings plan, you can use up to 35 grand of it interest-free as your down payment. Okay. So let's just say you've got 35 grand in RRSPs already, and now you're like, okay, cool, Like I wanna go get myself a property, but I don't have anything for my down payment, or I have a little bit for my down payment. Let's just say you, you have five grand. Okay. And you're like, I don't wanna have to save up another bunch of money to go get into the real estate um, market. So you can actually borrow against your RSP early as opposed to waiting for that, those funds when you're 65. And then you can put that down as your down payment. Mm-hmm. So now you have 40K because you have that 5K that you had saved up and you have that 35K as um, that you're borrowing from your RSP. Yeah, but you are required to pay that back in the next 10 to 15 years. So it's interest free into back to your RSP. Put it back to your RSP. Okay, makes so you're just using it a little bit early yeah. for the for the purpose of getting your property. At least that's the, I like that idea because it's kind of like your own bank. Exactly right. You're borrowing your money. You're borrowing your own money early. Yeah. Granted, it's it's in the RSP, so it is something you have to put back, and there's no interest for borrowing it. Oh, that's in sick. that time frame. As long, as long as you pay back in that 15 year okay. window, right? So that can be really useful as well too for people who have that RSP built up. And they're like, well, I don't want to wait till I'm 65 to really reap the benefits of it. You can use it right now to get your property, right? And then pay it back over the course of time, which... I feel like we don't hear about that enough. We don't. Because that's literally using your RSP as your own bank. Exactly. So it's a, it's a game changer. Smart. It's it's And it's just, if you have that resource there, I urge people to really u- utilize it because... What what other purpose is it serving right now? Yeah, exactly. And you know I don't what I mean? Wait till I'm 65. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm like, use it, use it. That's something that I really urge people to use to their to their benefit. The last incentive I'm gonna talk about isn't really the greatest, in my opinion. It's one that was like it was like a like I feel like it was a a vote ploy when um the last election was taking place. Okay. Where it was like government assistance to get yourself a property, where they're like, okay, well, we'll match your down payment to get the property. Um, it's not a gift. 
Um, so you're actually required to pay that percentage back when you sell your property. So it's really like a joint venture with the government. Um, so let's say you have 5% down payment, the government, five. another five, so you have 10, right? So you still have to qualify for that 90% of the mortgage yes. because that 90% loan to value is gonna be the difference, right? And when you have your property now, if you're gonna be selling it, you have to pay back the 5% five, of the, the equity. Price. Not the 5% you borrowed, Oh, the 5% of the equity. But appreciate it too. Exactly. So that's how they make their money. Exactly. So that's why I'm like, it's not a gift because <laughs> yeah. I got to pay back, yeah. you know, what your what the profit would have been. Yeah. So it's more so a, a joint venture joint venture in that but regard. But that's still not bad. Because it's still not that's, bad. That's like... It gets you into the market. Exactly. Yeah, but it's just like, I think the, the way they worded it when they really um, proposed it... Like it was it, a free gift. It, yeah, it, it looked like it was a grant and it's okay. not a grant. It's, it's a joint venture. So that's another incentive that's there for you as well. That's an initiative that you can look into. Um, but it is tough to qualify for it because remember now that you're getting that gifted income, I mean that gifted down payment to help you get into the market, you still have to qualify for the mortgage, right? So you're going to be getting the assistance of the government to get for your down payment, but you still have to qualify for the mortgage with your income Ooh. and your situation, right? So, and you already need the assistance. So it's going to be a little harder exactly, no matter what. Exactly. So it's, it's, I've only been, I've only seen it successfully used a handful of times, but if you can make it work for you, I, it, it, go ahead. But just based on how difficult it is to actually make it work, I wouldn't suggest that to be something that people bank on. Okay. Okay. Dope. So a, a couple terms that I'm hearing, mm. and I actually don't know the meaning to um, any of them. For sure. To Let me the, clear it up. To a T. <laughs> um, fixed rates, variable mm, rates. Okay. Pros and cons to both. So me personally, I'm a variable rate guy. I'm okay. not going to lie. I, I'm a variable rate that's guy. that's where it fluctuates. That's one where it fluctuates, right? So what the variable rate is, is like there's a prime rate which is what I think a lot of people heard the other day, which is like Bank of Canada's increasing their rate. Yes. So that's gonna have a direct um, implication on what is gonna happen to the mortgage rates with people who have mortgages, right? So there's prime plus or minus what the bank is gonna be issuing out to you. Prime and plus. Plus or minus like 1% is what okay. you'll probably hear. Okay. So like people who have line of credit are probably familiar with this as well too, because their line of credit is probably like prime plus 2.8 or something okay. like that. So that prime is going to fluctuate. The rate that you have can probably fluctuate as well too. And as it fluctuates, your mortgage payments are going to fluctuate as well too. When you're variable. When you're variable. Okay. But it's relatively small fluctuation. Yeah. So it's, it's usually by like 0.25% which can change your payment. Don't get me wrong. It's not like that can't be detrimental. That can be a, that can be a, a jump of some sort if your mortgage is high, mm -hmm. but it's small in the grand scheme of things. And I'm going to say why when I explain fixed. So fixed rate mortgages is, is pretty straightforward. It's a fixed rate that's going to be making your payments some, the same every month, right? Because mm -hmm. that interest is not going to fluctuate, meaning your payments are not going to fluctuate, meaning you pay the same amount every month for that five-year term. The reason why I'm team variable is because of the cons. So the con for a fixed rate mortgage is when you break it, the penalty is relatively massive because there's an interest rate. Breaking it by like missing a payment? or No, breaking it in the terms of like if you sell your property, if you refinance. Oh, before five years. Before that five year mark, right? Ooh. Because they charge you the interest rate differential. So okay. what that means is they're going to be charging you the interest that they would have made had you not broken that mortgage. And had they give that money to someone else for in, a, in the form of a mortgage, okay, right? Okay, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that can quickly get to a big that number. Ugly, yeah. And it, so the earlier you break it, the uglier it is because that's a lot more time that they could have made more money in interest. So to give you guys context, um, to do my refinance a year and a half after my my um, I get in my property, my penalty for breaking the initial mortgage was fifteen grand. 
Oof. Granted, it came out of the money that I was getting yeah. from the refinance, but still, but still 15 losing grand. 15 grand, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. money that I could have had. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas variable rate mortgage, the penalty is three months simple interest. So every mortgage payment is principal and interest. Okay. You're paying some of that payment is going to go towards the principal, which is the the, the, the loan itself, which yes. is your mortgage. Mm-hmm. And the other portion is going to be interest that the bank is making as, you know, profit. the benefit, the profit yeah. to mm-hmm. give you that mortgage. You're going to get charged three months of that. So if your mortgage is, let's just say, fifteen hundred a month mm-hmm. in total and the interest on those payments would have been a thousand dollars. Yeah. It's three thousand dollars because it would have been three Almost months. Fifteen on the exactly. Fix. Exactly. Yeah. And. Looking at statistics, and I guess people can kind of do their own self-reflection as well, too. Most people don't stay in that same property for the duration of that five years. A lot of people break that mortgage early because, you know, circumstances change. Family grows. Maybe you got a new promotion. You want to go get a bigger house. You got a lot of appreciation. You want to go sell and move somewhere else. A lot of things can take place. Most people do not see that whole five-year term out. So the likelihood of you breaking that mortgage is probably a little bit higher depending on your situation. And that's something that you should probably take into consideration, right? Mm -hmm. Not to mention... Variable rates are about a percent and a half cheaper than fixed rates as of right now. So you're already getting savings right off the bat. Mm -hmm. So even if that variable rate does creep up, if it takes four years for it to match the same thing as that fixed is right now, that's four years of savings already as is. Right. So if you're just looking at it in the sense like, okay, let's just use me and you as an example. Yeah. Because I think once people take the bank out of it and they use people as examples to kind of gauge it, Mm -hmm. it makes more sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I'm like, okay. Corey, I give you a hundred dollars. Yeah. And you're gonna pay me back over the next year. I'm gonna use a shorter time frame even too. And you could pay me back in payments of two dollars. Okay. Or you can pay me back in payments of five dollars. Mm-hmm. Would you rather go for the two dollars or five dollars? Right. Well, off the jump, I would do two, but unless I know. But then let's just say halfway through the year, I'm like, okay, it could raise up to three dollars. It's a possibility. You're gonna be like, oh, like that that's that's scary. Like, what if it yeah, what if yeah, it goes yeah. past five? Five, exactly. But what's the likelihood of it passing five? I don't know. Because the rate only increases by about 0.25 every time it goes up. So it would take six hikes for it to get oh, yeah, that's true. a true, whole true, full true, 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 true. percent and a half, right? Okay. So looking at the statistics of things, like variable rate, and this is a, a true fact. Yeah. The past 40 years, for the variable rate has been better than the fixed rate. 38 years out of that 40. Okay. So if you know your history, then exactly. you can gauge a better decision. Exactly. But the rates, just knowing how high I can jump, like let's just say I'm giving you a 1.5% right now. Yeah. And the fix is three right now. Yeah. That's a 1.5% difference. But the rate only increases by 0.25 every like four months. Mm-hmm. It would take six whole hikes at four months apiece yeah, yeah, to get yeah, to, yeah. to match what it's at at fixed, yeah. right? I'll take that chance. Exactly. Yeah. And no, also knowing you might even be moving in that five years time span anyways. So what's really the risk that you're running? Mm-hmm. But I do understand as well, some people like stability. I'm not opposed to it at all. Yeah. I'm not someone that's saying, okay. Situational. Go. Exactly. Guess, yeah. Everyone has their own preference. So, and also too, like if you're an older, maybe you're in an older demographic, maybe you're settled already. You're not having any more kids. You like where you, you're you buying your house. This is where you plan to kind of retire and hang it all up. Go for fix. Go ahead. You know what I mean? Like if, that, if that stability gives you peace of mind, because I think peace of mind is priceless when it comes to these things. But for me, as someone who wants to make sure I'm saving as much as possible, and I'm also going to be pivoting a lot in terms of my investments as well, too. Yeah. Variable all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sense. I know I'm making, I'm making that savings every month compared to what I would have had to pay if I went with fix right away. And also when I plan to pivot and I want to sell or I want to refinance, which I plan to do because I want to extract the equity out of that home instead of leaving it dead in the house, mm-hmm. that, that penalty is going to be minimal. 
Okay, dope, dope, yeah. dope. I want to talk about credit history because mm. um, when I was in my younger 20s, I messed up my credit. <laughs> we all did. <laughs> yeah, so, you we know, all so did. I want to know how far does it go back? You want the truth? I want the truth. <laughs> so it can go back as far as seven years. Oh, shit. Yeah, so okay. granted, you know what I mean? Like we're going to we're gonna be reasonable. Mm. Um, we're not going to base the, the decision itself on the seventh year ago right yeah. it's going to be based on what you have going on right now like and that's why we're looking at your income and your debts right now mm-hmm. not looking at okay did you max out your credit card when you were 23 yeah okay. but that's going to be visible to the lenders right some things that would be glaring from seven years ago is like okay did you have a bankruptcy seven years ago did you have like a consumer proposal so really detrimental things can be looked at but as far as what can be seen is going to go up to about seven years ago and that's going to include also things going to collections so you really want to make sure you're being as responsible as possible when it comes to your credit because you don't want things that were like eons ago yes. to come and ruin what you yeah. got going on right now, right? Because what your credit score is, is really just a, de- a depiction of your character. And that's what lenders are really going to have to go off of, right? It's going to tell a story. It's going to be like, okay, well, looking at Corey, what does Corey's score and his credit bureau actually show about him, right? Yeah. So that's something that you really want to be mindful of. And that's why I tell people, like, don't really loaf on getting your credit situation in order because... The, the longer, quicker you get it in yeah. order, the, the 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 further back they can go where your situation was cleaner, basically, okay. right? So, and not to mention it improves your credit score, right? So, make sure you're on top of those credit card payments. Um, you know, make sure you're keeping your balances low. The 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 biggest things about credit are the five things are about credit. The five pillars are you know your credit pay your payment history, which is paying back things on time. Um, your utilization, yeah, which yeah, is how one. high your balance is compared to the actual limit you have overall. I heard like you should do like you shouldn't go over like thirty percent. Uh, you yeah. that's where you'd like to stay. Yeah, it's really the the red zone where you wouldn't want to pass is about seventy percent. Okay, so as long as your if your balance is ten k, yeah, try and keep it below seven k. Okay, and also keeping your payments on time as well too, right? So utilization, you don't want to go past seventy. Thirty and below is like okay, this person's managing it well. Okay. In between is like okay. What's, they're going to look like at other watch. things to kind of yeah. really determine what your character is really saying. Um, other than that, it's going to be your inquiries. So how much are you really demanding out of credit? Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it's going to be credit history as well. So that's going to be, um, you know, how far back does your credit actually date back to? So those are the things that are really going to determine your your credit score. And being on top of those things is really what's going to determine your score and, and how lenders look at you as well, too. OK, dope. So when it comes to joint ventures, let's say mm-hmm. like my credit's all messed up um, mm-hmm. and I want to partner with Damien to get a house mm-hmm. right, or something like that. How yeah. does that process work and what do they look at in terms of joint ventures and stuff like that? So any situation when it comes to getting your mortgage, it's going to be. They're gonna look at both of you, right? Okay. It's good. It's a it's a package deal. Okay. And this can be obviously to your your benefit or to your detriment. And in a situation like this, where I I stress to people like, yo, do a joint venture. Like I'm I'm pro joint venture because looking at the market at how it is right now, it's tough to do things by yourself. Like Facts. I said, even just doing the the example with just like the cut and dry numbers with income on 100k by yourself, yeah, you're not qualifying for that much. Yeah. It's, Especially if you're doing B lenders too, twenty percent. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Right. So. If you can combine your situations together, it makes it a lot easier to kind of salvage, right? So let's just say we take that same example where, we, where you made 100K and let's say Damien makes another 100K. Now you got 200K to, between the two of you guys. If we're using that same five times rule, now you're looking at a million dollars in mortgage, right? Jeez. If you guys are debt free, yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. else pans for out. Sure, for sure. But like you can quickly see how having two incomes as opposed to one is hugely beneficial. Yes. In the case of credit, Let's just say your credit's not the greatest. Mm-hmm. If someone else is on that application with you who has good credit, then okay, then 
it, it can kind of make up for your out? exactly oh, okay. it can kind of make up for your shortcomings right okay. so that's why i really like i promote and i'm a big proponent of joint ventures because two heads are always better than one so not only from an income standpoint mm -hmm. but also from a credit standpoint and also from a down payment and money standpoint right like if you've got 40k and the person that I got 40K. Mm -hmm. We've got 80K together. Mm -hmm. We qualify for a bigger mortgage together. Now we can get into the market and capitalize off the appreciation and do whatever else that we have to do. We have more capital to tap into. Maybe you've got a line of credit. I've got a line of credit. We can do some renovations together. Mm -hmm. Now we have a project on our hands. We, we you know, lift this property to a higher value. We sell it. We do a flip essentially. Okay. Now we go and make 100K in profit. We split it 50-50. Jeez. And then you also walk away with the money that you put into it as well yeah. to, to start off with. Now, maybe you have the 50K that we came into it with. We just split 100K down the middle. Now we both have 100K the individually. Now. now we can go do this by ourselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or you can keep doing that. Keep possibly. doing it together. You know what yeah. I mean? So I think it can quickly show you the opportunity that's there between joint ventures because you two together can now get into a different market that's maybe more affordable as opposed to having to go out somewhere pretty far like I had to do in Sudbury because mm -hmm. I did it by myself, right? Okay. So joint ventures can be really beneficial. And I know a lot of people get kind of squirmish when it comes to like doing something with other people where maybe like it's not even family, right? Because mm -hmm. you're like, oh, how can I trust I'm going to yeah. get my money? There's contracts in place, right? They, you do the, the proper legal you go through the proper legal channels, you can yeah. ensure that, you know, there's no undercutting going to be going on because it's in writing. Like I'm yeah. a 50% owner, you're a 50% owner. Cool. We're going to be, this is a joint venture that's in okay. paper, right? So you can't really snake me in that regard. Okay. Cause I was just going to ask you that. I was just going to ask like, how can the black community be more comfortable with joint ventures? Because I feel like, you know, the Asians and the Brown community, mm -hmm. th that that's their thing. Listen, man, we need to start doing that. I agree. And, and I don't think people realize like, how deep it really goes. And that's what's really not, that's not only what created the, the wealth gap that we're kind of seeing right now, but that's also what's making it even bigger as we I go along. I heard we're like 180 years behind. Bro, I, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't even be surprised if that was like you underestimating the, the number. Like that was it being shortchanged. Yeah. So I, I see a lot of other people kind of putting their resources together where I'm seeing like even all four or five people on a mortgage application. Really? Yeah, because they, they realize that they have more power together than separately. So what they'll do is sometimes I'm seeing people like, okay, like in that same scenario where there's like four or five people, they get a house that's, now they can qualify for a bigger house. Yeah. There is probably four or five bedrooms in that house. Everyone has a room. Mm -hmm. And then they're all banking on that, uh, that, that equity that's going to be growing on in that property, right? You're splitting the mortgage four or five ways. Oh, that's easy. Everyone can come together with like yeah. six bills. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And then that property is skyrocketing in value. They turn around and sell it. Everyone splits it five ways. Yeah. Everyone has enough now to go and do their, do their own, own thing, thing. With, their, with their own family, right? And it's just short-term sacrifice yeah. for long-term gain. And that's really what it is. And I think... Us as a community, uh, as a community, we can really benefit just by having these conversations a little bit more openly, which is why yeah, like, I'm glad, yeah, I I'm glad that you're having this podcast and talking about these things, because I think that that's really where it begins. I know a lot of people like, for example, like my friend group, we yeah. really just started getting more comfortable discussing like, OK, how much do you make? Numbers. Exactly. You same, know, the things same. that are that are that we would really be it like, used to be so like, like there's like a Yeah, exactly. Like even for, to this day. My mom does not share to me how much she makes, which is cool. Like it's your yeah. business, but like we should be more open with that. We stuff. should be more open about it because that's where the opportunities can really come together to do certain things together that would benefit the both of us. Yes. Right. Yes. But I think having those those transparent conversations and really exploring these things together instead of trying to just, OK, well, I'm keeping it to myself. Like I'm going to do this on my own as opposed to, OK, let's work together. Let's build a, a, a strong foundation together and then we can kind of do things on our own app later on if that's even what we want to do because we can quickly see the power we have together as opposed to individually. So 
also not having those transparent conversations stops us from learning faster. Yes. So I remember like I when I went through my whole debacle of trying to get my property, I shared it with my friends and like, yo, I didn't even know that myself. And now my friends who got their properties after me, they didn't have to go through that. Yes, I had to be the guinea pig, but yeah. like I'm glad to know that other people were able to learn something from my mistakes and and gain more clarity and, and knowledge on a situation to, to better maneuver themselves. 100%. Because that's where, where where it starts. If if I had someone who was clear and open about their own um, experience beforehand, before I got into mine, mm. I wouldn't have even made that mistake to begin with. Exactly. So the reason I was able to make that mistake is because I was in the dark already based off other people being private and, and not really sharing information themselves. Mm. So, so we got to break that stigma. We got to break that cycle, man. And I think it starts with podcasts like this and just having those open conversations and making things. And discussing go- numbers. Exactly. Cause what's, what's really, what's the, what's the shame in it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think it, it all depends on, it all goes back to how perspective because I have a friend who, who told me how much they made last year and it yes. was a lot more than I made last year. Yeah. And I was like, I'm inspired. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to someone like, bro, this guy made that much money. I'm cheese. Like, I don't want to talk to this guy. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it all just goes down to what kind of mindset do you have? Like if you're open to it and you can utilize it in a, in a positive way and make it beneficial to you and inspiring and motivate you go. I'm all, I'm all for it. So that's why like, I really try to have my platform as transparent as possible Absolutely. to show people that things are possible Absolutely. and also help them kind of expand their mind and look at things from a different perspective to, to better inspire them to do things better than I did it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And not only realizing that it's possible to begin with. Absolutely. I also feel like a realistic situation, like let's say like the, for the, like the 23 year old that maybe only has like maybe like 15 K and five friends have 15 K yeah. and they all still living at home. Mm-hmm. They can still get an investment property. Exactly. At 23. Exactly. And, and, and like you said, right? Like if you, if it's three friends and they all got 15 K a pop, that's 45 K. And then also their all of their incomes combined. Mm-hmm. Even if they make thirty k each, right? They all make minimum wage. That's ninety k together. You guys can qualify for something that would work great with that forty five k. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So pooling your resources can be really impactful in a good way. It's just a matter of having that conversation and being open to it and realizing that that's an option, right? So I think that that's something that I would, I would strongly encourage people to do and look into because. It, it's not getting any easier on your own, yeah. never mind as a group, facts, right? So facts. the quicker you can get into that market and make that move, the better. Okay, dope. And I want to talk about like um, your personal pro. Uh, sorry, port- one, sorry, one second. I just want to add to that as well yeah. too. So joint ventures don't have to necessarily mean as well too um, that we're all coming with the same resources, right? Like I don't have to have 15K, you don't have to have 15K. It can be different as long as we have that agreement, right? Because you can't get into the market by yourself yeah. because you don't have a job right now. Yeah, I can't get into the market myself right now either because I don't have no down payment. Yeah. So let's pool our resources together, get into this market together, split the profit or figure out whatever makes sense to you guys, right? Like maybe you value the money and you think it's a li- it's not a fair split. Cool, go 60, 40. Yeah. Go 70, 30. But figure out what works for you but because- it can work. Because staying on that sideline and not and staying out all together mm-hmm. is doing nobody- any benefit, right? It's mm-hmm. doing you guys both a disservice. Jeez, so that actually just opened up my mind a lot. Yo, I'm listening. Honest, listen, that opened up my mind a lot. I, I don't, I don't want to say nothing crazy on here, <laughs> but like, I know a lot of people that make a lot of money in certain ways that they can't really get into a certain position because yeah. of that, right? Yeah. If you know you have the money and you know someone else, okay, like you can qualify for a mortgage because you fit into this let's a lender space. Let's make the deal. Let's make it work, right? Yeah. Because what else are you gonna do with that money? Mm-hmm. You're gonna sit there and and let it not. You know, you're going to lose money over in inflation over yeah. alone. The market's getting even crazier. When are you going to actually get into the market? Yeah. Sitting there and doing nothing is the most expensive thing you could do. 
cash is trash. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Put that into hard assets, whether it be crypto, real estate, whatever. You got to do something with your money because working for your money is not doing anything for you these days. Absolutely. Inflation is at well, like 4%, yeah. 5%. You having your money on hand is detrimental. Putting it in the bank, you're losing money. Yeah. So you got to figure out ways to be creative and, and put that money to work because the quicker you can make your money work for you is the quicker you can find financial freedom. Okay, shit, dope. Uh, that's a gem I needed. <laughs> you know, I can't even lie to you. What's next with, with real estate for you? Man, listen. Uh, <laughs> I got big a goals. lot. I got, big I got goals. very big goals, man. I think I'm a very big proponent of having big goals. Yes. Because I feel like you really want to make them almost like unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm striving to do something that's like unbelievable, even if I don't achieve that, you're gonna have I'm, some a, big. I'm in a good place yeah. still. So my goals for right now, um, like I said, I got that triplex in Sudbury. I'm actually doing renovations on it. Okay. So as this is more so about real, um, real estate investing strategy. Oh. So this is a burr. So what a burr is, is basically you buy a property that's undervalued, you renovate it. So you increase the value of it. You rent it out to people at the higher value now, mm. and then you refinance so that you take some capital out of that property and then you can repeat it all over again because I essentially got my money back. So mm. that's what I was doing with this property in Sudbury. Um, I'm almost that's the done. three door one. That's right? the th exactly okay. the three unit property. So I'm re renovating the last unit right now. So once it's done, I should have that value. I think I told you guys I I bought it for about two seventy. Mm -hmm. After the renovations are done, the value should be about three ninety. Oh, okay. So when I re refinance it now, I'll get a good portion of that money I put into the property to begin with all out, the way back. and then I'm gonna go with another property. Okay. But then I'll still have that property to me, okay. cash flowing. Yes. Not to mention I got the other property that I still have in Brantford. Um, and then I got the property that I'm looking to close on in, in Brampton to live in. So that's not an investment, yeah, but that's yeah. just going to add to everything. Yeah, yeah. At the end of April, my goal is to refinance, get the cash out of that property and probably go put into two more, if mm -hmm. not one. Um, and then like, I just keep expanding my portfolio from there because my goal is to, uh, completely replace my income. Um, through real estate. Oh, exactly. Okay. Through, okay. So passively so that anything I do make from, from my active job, which is being a, a mortgage agent, I love doing what I do, but if I can have more time to myself to spend with my family, which yeah. is my main priority, that's that's what I want to do. Um, and then anything that I make in mortgages as a broker is is additional, right? That's not money that I need on a day-to-day -day basis to really satisfy my expenses. But I'm looking to kind of just expand my portfolio tremendously. My goal um, in the next two years is to have eight, uh, eight properties. Okay. That's my goal. And you have three- oh, Two properties, often. three units. So I want to have eight properties. And it's on camera. Right, let's listen, get it. Now, now I got to show and prove. So listen, end of, end of 2023, we gonna have a, a re, we gonna have to revisit this and see where I'm at with things. Okay, dope. Have you ever thought about like public speaking about the mortgage space or real estate space? So I, I do have my uh, cognitive capital podcast where yes. I, we do like to kind of shed light on the real estate space and the mortgage space and real estate overall. I do have my YouTube channel as well, okay. Who's Fight TV, where I document my real estate journey as well dope, too, dope. and talk about other things with financial literacy dope. that are outside of real estate. So you know how to budget, how to you know best maneuver yourself financially because there's a lot of things, even basics before you even get into the real estate space. That I don't think people are aware of. Mm -hmm. So my goal is to really just have people as financially aware as possible. Yes. So public speaking specifically, I haven't really thought about it, but I'm, I'm open it. to it. I think you, you think so. It. There's a lot of money in it too. I, listen, <laughs> I, I don't like money to be my my main driving factor, but a nice little but, checking. Yeah. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. So <laughs> I might look into that for sure. That that that's something I might put on my on my list as well too. Um, I do want to be able to have like a a fund where I, I, I want to be like a private lender, mm. but how does that work? So private lending um, is another way to kind of invest in real estate more passively. So what I'd be doing is lending out money to individuals who need it. 
I'd put a what type of money are we talking about? Like we you, you it can range, right? So mm-hmm. I've seen people lend money um in a small amount. So basically they they put it into like a fund. So okay. like if you have like five grand you're not using for the next six months, put it with somebody else who doesn't have any use for their five grand for the next six months. Someone will collect it and go do whatever they're doing with it and pay you guys out. Oh, okay. Over the course of that six months, right? Okay. But then there's also people who just do it themselves on a bigger scale where it's like, okay, they lend out a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. You go do whatever you're going to be doing with it, right? Like let's say you need it for renovations. Okay. And I charge you 10% interest on it. You pay me back when you're done with your with your project. And you have a time frame. You have about 12 months or, you okay. know, it's usually 12 months. That's maybe dope, you do six I months. I like that. It's a good way to make your money snowball it passively, right? Because yeah. I just give you the money, you do what you're gonna do with it, and if you don't pay me back, there's a, there's a lien on your house, right? Ooh. So I got enough security to make sure that I get my money back. How do you get into that space? Like for example, like if I wanted to do that tomorrow, where who am I calling? Me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because okay. as a mortgage broker, right? Like so, the and I, I want to clarify this as well too. So what a mortgage broker is is someone who will work in the best interest for the person who's trying to get the mortgage and exhaust all options and channels to make sure you get the best product for what it is that you're trying to do. So I have access to A-lenders, which is like, you know, your big five banks, your RBCs, your Scotias, your TDs, other A-lenders that I mentioned to you as well that are in that same space that have similar rates. And then we got B-lender space as well too. And you say, okay, you know, I'm trying to do this property. This is my goal. This is my plan for it. This is my investment property. I'm going to plan to have it for like a year. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. We don't have to go to this A-lender. We can go to the B-lender space because they have these higher, slightly, slightly higher rates, mm-hmm. but they don't charge you a penalty when you break it. Okay. You know what I mean? So I find you the best product amongst all of the options because most people think they have to go to their home branch. Mm-hmm. They go to their one bank that they bank with for 20 years. Okay. They might not even qualify you, right? So taking your situation, what you're trying to do, I find the best solution for you amongst all the different opportunities and, and resources that I so have. you're like the plug. I'm the plug. To the cartel. Exactly. <laughs> and, and to, I won't say the cartel, but because the cartel's watching, I can be the plug as well. Um, but yeah, like, so... It, it, if and let's just say whatever you're doing in real estate, let's say you need some private funds. So mm-hmm. it's not about a mortgage, it's not about B lender or A lender. You need some private funds for your renovations that you're gonna oh, be doing. I didn't even know that. You can do that. I have someone who has that hundred K that they're not using that I could say, okay, you know what? Corey here has this plan in place. He's got this is the situation, this is how much he makes, this is the property he's trying to do it on. Mm-hmm. Good deal to you, yes or no? They're like, Yeah, cool. They'll wire you the funds by like the end of the week. Wow. Yeah. And you can pull those funds together to do whatever you're trying to so do. So let's right? say like as long hat. as it works. Right. As long as the deal makes sense to the person who's lending it out. Right. Because let's say you have this. Let's say this is your first property. Yeah. And you're like, well, this property is three hundred thousand dollars, but it's probably going to be like worth like three twenty when I'm done. It probably won't make sense. Right. Because okay. how is the person that's going to be lending you money going to make their money if you're making only 20 grand? And I'm charging you, let's just say five grand to lend the money to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So as long as the, your deal makes sense and how you explain it makes sense, you have the capacity to carry the carrying costs of borrowing that money and the mortgage itself too, they'll, they'll, they can say, yeah, you're nay to it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So let's say like I have 20 grand to lend, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, someone comes to you, then they need like a hundred. Like, are you finding the rest of that 80 or like, do I have to come with a partner or how does that work? So I could, I could utilize you. Let's just say, cause remember it's not just you, right? So yeah. it'll be, let's just say it's you, Damien and three other people who have 20 K. Yeah. What if I just pull all five of you guys to get that hundred K to that mm-hmm. person? Okay. So I'll say, okay, Corey, swing this 20. To this person, you tell me what your interest rate that you want to put on it is, what the lender fee you oh, want to so put on we, it. You dictate. You're the bank in this situation. Wow, okay. Cool. So that's where I think it's it can be powerful because you really get to dictate the rules that the person that's borrowing it plays by. Mm-hmm. And you can also say no because you're like, I don't like this plan. I'm not, really, I'm <laughs> yeah, not, I'm not yeah, touching yeah, yeah. it. You know what I mean? And you can get, well, you possibly get a lien on their house. And it, the lien is going to be there regardless as a security because yeah. let's say the person that borrows the money 
they they get into a sticky situation. They they're trying to ghost you. Okay. Cool, you can ghost me, but you can't. This property is uh, I got, no. I'm, I'm on title. Yeah. Is what that what that means, right? Because it'll be the person that that owns the property. Mm-hmm. It'll be the place that has the the mortgage for the first mortgage. Yeah. And then you'd be in place in position right beneath it to get whatever's left over after that property is sold, right? So that's what a lien is. Okay. The property would be dissolved, aka sold. Yeah. And the funds would be dispersed accordingly to who is owed what. So you offered you you let someone borrow 100k or 20k you're in line to get your 20k plus whatever interest that your your contract said right so there's that lien as security and not to mention you can sue now because yeah you, you put me a, you put me in a, a, a in a an uncomfortable situation right so there's a lot of power there Gee, and also yeah, like, like it's just more comfortable you know yeah, what i mean like yeah, you're more just options you, too i have the, the people that i have access to with private funds yeah they're like people that's like on vacation they're like yeah cool you need money i'm just wire it like they're just on vacation all the time because they've got they've got the money just yeah, ready to yeah, lend yeah. out, and they, that's how they make their money, right? Yeah. So imagine you have a hundred k out in circulation, and you're making eight grand on it a month. That's yeah, your income. Yeah, you know what that, I mean? That's De- sick. Depending on what you, what you're charging in terms of interest, right? So yeah. that's what I want to get to initially at at some point. Yeah. But what I want to do, and I want to kind of put a little bit of a spin on it, I I I really want to help people. Okay. So I want to get to a point where I have enough capital that I'm not actively using. Okay. To lend out to people who need it, but not as at as such aggressive rates. Because mm. this private lending that we're talking about right now, the, the rates are not pretty. Yeah. They're probably you're looking at like maybe 9% bare minimum. Jeez. And that can be pretty crazy when you're talking about bigger numbers, right? So I want to be able to lend out that money to help people get their, their foot in the door. How can you secure yourself by bringing down your rate? <sighs> that's the, yeah, that's that. the tough part, right? Because I don't want to have to like put myself at risk to, to yeah, benefit other people. So that's the, that's the difficult part, right? But I guess it would come down to a point where it's like, okay, let's just say you're a first time home buyer. I really want to help you out. You need some money to kind of use as your down payment to even acquire the property. Cool. Well, how about I'm just doing joint ventures then? So like, I'd be like a 3% owner in this property so that if worst case scenario, we have to sell this property because you're falling behind and you're defaulting on your payments. I still get back what I put into this and then some to make it worth my while, but I still helped you as well too. Right. Because I think a lot of people are in this situation right now where it's tough to save up money right now in this economy. Prices are going crazy. It's like if you're not already in, it's it's looking really grim in terms of how to get into that market. So I want to be like a, a resource that people can kind of look look to to help them get into that market when I think it would be like no other option is really going to be there for them. So they can still have the, the benefits of home ownership because I've seen how it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to see other people do the same thing for themselves okay, as dope, well, bro. too. I'm looking forward to that. I hope, oh, I hope so. that's, that's the long term goal because you need to have a lot of money on hand that yeah. I can't be actively looking to use. Right. Because yeah. in the private lending space, if I lend you that 50 grand and I need it now because my pockets You're got tight, yeah, you can't get it. I wasn't a part of the agreement. Yeah. So I got to make sure I'm self-sufficient enough to not rely on that money that I lent out. OK, so, yeah, that's dope. that's the goal in the long term. Hopefully I get there. I, I will get there. We'll just see when. <laughs> Okay, dope. Yeah. So I'm not exactly sure how it works in Canada, but I'm always you always hear like um, deals in the states like foreclosure, foreclosure for mm. dirt cheap. How does that does that is that a thing here or like how does that work? Ah uh, man, honestly, that's that's a sticky game. It, <sighs> foreclosures happen everywhere. Yeah, okay. It's it's pretty much people falling defaulting on their mortgage insurance, and then the house gets repossessed by the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, in most cases, though, here in Canada, the property will um, just be sold. Okay. So that's why they insure no special list. The, I, I haven't seen it <laughs> if there is, but most cases it'll be like, if there is going to be a list in that scenario, I think you're thinking about an auction. Okay. So, okay. and that's what happens more so in the States. There's like an open auction. So houses that have been repossessed, they'll go to an auction and whoever the highest bidder is cool. So to that person for that, for that amount. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where like people can get really crazy steals in the States. I haven't seen it so much over here, mm-hmm. but it is something that, that I want to look into as well too, because you, you could be, 
looking at some pretty good deals, but it's just like most cases, the houses are run down. Yeah, yeah, the house yeah. wasn't really well treated. It was in a a bad area anyways yeah. to begin with. That, And I, I don't mean bad area like Jennifer. I mean like it's like in Nar- it's like Sarnia or something yeah, like that, yeah, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, just yeah. like- Not really worth it. Exactly. It might not always be in your best interest to even go acquire a property like that because it's just like, well, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. So it, it, it's a good way to, if you have the patience and you really want to do your research and look constantly, maybe you can find the gem and the diamond in the rough here and there. But for the most part, it's 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 not an easy game to get into still. <laughs> All right, dope. Yeah. Is there anything that I'm missing about mortgages? Ah. We went over the variable rates, credits, debt. Yeah, that that is the biggest thing. I think what people should really look to kind of make sure that they're on top of right now before getting into the real estate space is just minimizing and reducing as much debt as possible because that could be the biggest thing in terms of not just a qualification standpoint, okay, but also getting into home ownership is no joke. Um, you have your mortgage to worry about. You've yes. got property taxes to worry about. You might have condo fees in addition to home insurance, not to mention all the other expenses that you're going to have outstanding as well, too. So someone like me, I really prioritize making sure I had no other debt in place before getting the next property because I was like, I don't so no want a new car. Exact, no new car. And that was the biggest thing for me in, 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 from an investment standpoint, because I'm like, let me delay that gratification. I know I want a new car. Like I said, I got the property, I, I got the property refinanced. So I got some cash on hand and I was like, okay, where are we going to first? Are we going to ball out? And I was like, you know what? <laughs> let me chill out. Let me chill out because I've seen a lot of people not be able to re-enter the market Wow. because they took out their money. They got, they got a nice payout, but then the prices kept climbing and they couldn't get back they in. They couldn't get back in. So I was like, okay, I got this money right now. Although I can go buy a car and I, I plan to buy it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Let me go get another property. Yeah. Because I know I really prioritize that extra cash flow I'm getting it's every an month asset. and the asset. And then also I can refinance that property in the future to get more cash out to go do it all over again. Mm-hmm. So that's something I really want people to kind of prioritize first and foremost. I see people come to me all the time saying, okay, let, let me see what my, my pre-approval is saying. And I look at the numbers and I I, I look at their whole portfolio and their pro, their profile. And I'm like, you got to get some of these debts down because you're not going to qualify for much. Even though you make a good amount of money, you mm-hmm. spend a good amount of money on the debts that you have outstanding. So you can quickly lose your 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 leeway in the in the mortgage space, which your mortgage is everything because you're not buying that cash outright. I mean, you're not buying that house outright straight cash. Right. So you're going to have to mortgage something on that property. You want to make sure that you're maximizing your dollar. So keeping your debts in check is 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 essential. All right, bro. Um one question that I ask everybody, uh, where do you see yourself in five years? I want to make a prediction. I want to play this back. Five years? Five years. I'm 35? Yeah. All right. So first and foremost, I'm living in a detached home. Okay. That's that's first and foremost. I need a backyard yeah. and I don't want people attached to me. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just like, I, I don't know how wild I plan to live in my, in my life, but yeah. I'm like, I want to blare my music. I don't want to hear nobody complaining about yeah. it. So that's first and foremost. I want to have a portfolio of rental properties alone. Yeah. Five years. Five years. I heard your two year. Two year I said eight. Okay. I'm not going to times eight by, by, by I'm not going to double it exactly because I do plan to kind of veer away from real estate after a certain point. Okay. Like I want to get into that private, that, that yeah. private lending Fair. space. So I, I'm going to say 15 properties in five 15. years. 15. 15. Right, let's get I'm, it. <laughs> I'm saying it right in the camera. 15 properties in five years. Right. Um, and I, I want to be financially free. And that means not necessarily not doing mortgages anymore and not being a mortgage agent, but that means not having to rely on the income I get as a mortgage agent because sure. I want the passive income I get to be able to fund my lifestyle. Okay. So that's the, that's, that's my goal. Wait, wait, wait. What about kids? Kids? Many more coming? What's up? 
Listen, Carter, you're, you're, you're giving me a run for my money at this point. I don't know if you're going to get any siblings right now, but if we do, uh, I want to max out at two. I, I, I really wanted a girl. I want to be really? a girl dad. Yeah. Ah, cool. Um, so, you know, maybe he got a little sister on the way. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously have my nice little bride. Uh, <laughs> the ring the ring will be coming soon. Right, and, um, yeah, I think that's that's where you can see myself. Uh, I want that YouTube to be at 100K subscribers. What do you got now? 2000. Okay, <laughs> so I, I got to right, I got a 50x that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll get there. But that's the plan. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, having that private fund to kind of help people get into real estate themselves. And I, I, I do want to look into and this is like something I had like a, a little bit of a like a, it's a it's a, pa- a plan in my background mm-hmm. or my mind. I really want to be able to mentor people. Yes. Because I have a lot of people reaching out to me on a regular basis, asking me, okay, like, how can I get into real estate? What's the best thing I should do? How did I, how can I do what you did? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to share that. That's why I have the YouTube channel. That's why I have the podcast. The podcast. Yeah. But I think to work with people directly would be a, a huge benefit to me mm-hmm. and also them as well, too, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of things that I can't share on social media or on those platforms. And not to mention, for me, mentorship has played a huge role into where I am right now. Fair. Um, Just giving back. Yeah, giving back. So, Because I've seen how much it's helped me. I want to be able to help people in the same light. So I want to be able to be in some form of a mentor role for other people. I don't know if it's going to be like by a group setting or, you know, maybe like a mastermind of some sort. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I want to be able to give back to people more than just money. I want to be able to give back in terms of like knowledge, and, and, knowledge. and education. Exactly. Let's get exactly. it. Exactly. Okay. Because I, 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 I want to build an empire and I want people to build empires for themselves as Absolutely. well, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Dope. That's How about great. you? I'm going to ask you as well. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your right. five-year plan? Five-year plan. All right. So I'm doing Black and New Rich podcast mm-hmm. now. But Love my it. my big goal is to have is this for this to be a network. Mm-hmm. So I want podcasts under the network. So I don't see myself doing this on like let's say year six. Mm-hmm. I'll probably replace myself okay. so I can run the network. Okay. So I just want to build up the numbers mm-hmm. um, for this podcast. Yeah. So I then I, then I can have like different type of sponsorship leverage when the numbers are up. Yeah. Okay. So this will be a network. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna hold you to it. I'm gonna come back <laughs> here in what 2027. Yeah. This will be. We're gonna see the Blackest New Rich uh, Podcast ne- Network or yeah, just the podcast? No, no. It'll be yeah. It'll, this will be a podcast still but mm-hmm. it might not be me running it yeah but we'll have a black as a new uh, network like like revolt tv or something okay like you know? okay like, yeah i'm looking forward to it goal. i'm looking forward to it all right bro um let everybody know where they can um where they can reach you instagram uh and like email address okay wherever. uh so you can hit me up on instagram that's who's fly w-h-o-s-f-l-y-y two underscores uh, i got who's fly tv as well that's my youtube channel as well as the Instagram channel as well too. Check out Cognitive Capital Podcast airing every Wednesday as well yes. where I'm the co-host. Yes. And uh, yeah, just stay tuned, man. Honestly, like you can you can get in contact with me one way or another. Um, email is in my bio on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, hit me up if you need anything to do with mortgages. If you just want to talk about real estate and finances, I'm here to have every conversation about it because I actually get like, I get like, I get, I get a kick out of it. Like I enjoy this stuff. So feel free to hit me up. I'm, I'm always, I'm an open book and I'm transparent and I'm, I love to talk. So hit me up. All right, bro. Thank you for uh, spending time. I know you're a busy, busy man. Thanks for having I, me, man. I appreciate Thanks for having it. Me. I appreciate it. And uh, that's episode 11. That's a wrap. Till next wrap. time.